ever since he left, that's counting down to when he's coming again. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining us this evening is Karen. Hello. And Amy. Greetings from Colorado. And we are hoping Tracy will be with us. He is uh, hoping to join us a little later. He'll probably pop in. You'll hear his voice and we will all rejoice. And if not, then we will all boo and scorn him. Uh, (laughs) I, uh... I learned a, a good, well, yeah, we'll say, well, I learned a lesson this week that I should have already known and actually did know, but sometimes you just make mistakes and our, our, our audience can't see it, but I'll show, I don't know if you can, no, uh, you can't see it. Never mind. But, uh, I learned that the tailpipe on my Harley is really, really hot. Ooh. Oh, what did you do? <laughs> I was, awful. I was working on it. I was letting it idle because I've had a dead battery and I was you know, I got it started and I was letting it run and I was going to take it out for a ride, but you got to put the seat back on because the battery's underneath it. Well, I have a custom seat on there and there's some little bits and pieces that uh, decided to fall out underneath the fender. And so I was trying to reach up under there and get things together while something fell underneath and I reached under the bike, wasn't paying attention. I hit my forearm on that tailpipe for about an eighth of a second. And, and I have a nice little kiss on my arm now and it, uh, Aww. It looks it looks really pretty and um, doesn't hurt terribly, but uh, it's ugly. And uh, yeah, it was just a reminder: don't touch those things. <laughs> right. I, uh, As a kid, I used to uh, spend. We we always kind of lived out in the country, and my brother was always ripping around on his dirt bike. And sometimes, wearing a pair of summer shorts, I would oh, yeah. hop on the back of his dirt bike. And most of the time, I was self-aware enough to keep my stupid ankle off the stupid tailpipe but every once in a while i'd get off balance and i'd have to grab for the bike or i'd forget oh man i would blister the inside of my ankle so fast oh yeah oh yeah you know i i I learned to quit wearing shorts (laughs) riding (laughs) riding a motorcycle i did it a couple of times and after the second you think i would a lot learned after the first but you know the first you do it once you're like oh i'll be careful next time and you do it again i decided no we're not going to have a third time so I get, I quit that practice. I always cringe when I see guys riding down the ro- road in shorts anyway. But then optimistic uh, fellows. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I quit doing that. But then, uh, yeah, the other day was just an accident. I was just reaching underneath and not paying attention to my, my to where my arm was. My spatial awareness was a little off. And, mm, yeah, it was completely irrelevant, but interesting note. Did you know that when Levi Strauss first came out with jeans, you know how they have the, the metal rivets on all the, the pressure points? Yeah. Like the, the stress points? Did you know that because of it being a stress point, they used to have one in the crotch? Oh, no. Which didn't work well when cowboys would squat by the fire. Yeah. And then stand up. That's that's really, really, really... That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> that's really awful. <laughs> so they changed that. They just... <laughs> So they just sew it now. I say that that was a good idea. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. oh gosh, oh gosh. <laughs> okay, well, so like usual, none of that has anything to do with what we're going to be talking about this evening. No, there's no rivets <laughs> or jeans or motorcycles or anything in Daniel Eight. I know, not a single motorcycle. I mean, come on, I mean, they could have 
Come on, Daniel. You could have gotten a little more creative. <laughs> uh, there are goats and rams and stuff, though. So yeah, I let's mean, go. Chapter something. eight. So Daniel eight. Okay, we've been talking about Daniel now for a while, and as we know, Daniel was a captive of Babylon, taken from Judah early in the in the siege, and uh, he has been he has been educated, and he has been called on a few times to make some. Oh, what would I say? Interpretations of dreams that kings have had and visions and things that have shown up on the walls and all these things. And he's uh, he's shown that he has an aptitude for this sort of thing. Of course, he would tell you that it was all from God, uh, which it was, of course. But uh, was it last week we saw or did he? All right. Am I am I getting myself mixed up or getting ahead of myself? He He was having. Uh, he started having his own visions. And yeah, that was just uh, last week. Yep. Yeah. So last, our last episode, we talked about some visions that he had of um, some beasts coming up out of the sea and uh, a vision of the ancient of days and those things getting interpreted. We talked about different kingdoms that those beasts represented. And if you were listening to those and didn't know the context where we were coming from, you might have thought we were pulling some of that stuff out of our hat with what these things represent. But when we get into chapter eight, you'll see where we're able to come up with some of those with some of those interpretations. So in t- Daniel chapter eight starts with Daniel having a vision of um, well, actually, let me back up just a minute because now it, it gives us the context of where when he is. We're talking the third year of King Belshazzar, so this would be after Nebuchadnezzar, after Darius, right? And then we have Belshazzar. No, uh, I don't know if it's after Darius. No, you're right. You're right. It was after Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Then Belshazzar. Then Darius. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was getting I got that mixed up because because the timeline backs up. Matt, you're here yes. with two women. We'll keep you straight. It's thank you. Hey, that's you know, hey, yes, thank you. We're here for you. <laughs> I I need it. I'll admit it. I need it. I'm I'm 50 now, you know. My brain doesn't work as well. It's kind of oh, easy, easy. <laughs> I'm finally catching up to you ladies. So yeah. oh. oh wait, wait. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I take back everything nice I've ever said about you. Which was when was like that? There's been like two things over the oh, years. The, That's good hair. I was gonna say I still, I still have the hair. I still have the hair. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, we're in, we're with King Belshazzar. So this is before the Lions Den story. Um, Belshazzar, who, if you remember back, he was the one who saw the handwriting on the wall, and uh, the. The, the Babylonian kingdom then went to the Medes and Persians. So we're in his third year of reign, and Daniel gets this vision. And in the vision, he is taken to uh, says Shushan, which is the capital of Elam. Uh, and I looked it up on a map and looked around 200 miles from Babylon. I'm a little curious if he'd ever been there. We don't really know, but he's, he's specifically names this and it's by the Ulai River. Isn't Shushan, isn't Shushan where Esther became queen? Yeah, it was just uh, yeah, that's exactly where Esther became queen. And yeah. I was just looking that up because 
it says in the um, first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, and then Esther 1.1 1, 1 says, now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. Right, that's chapter showing, 9, yeah. Uh -huh. But it's right. showing a different, oh, you're right, I'm looking at chapter 9. <laughs> Never mind me, I'll just go back to my corner. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, there's Amy thinking ahead. So Daniel sees in this vision a ram. And the talk, he talks about how he sees two horns on it. And I, the impression I get is that he doesn't see horns on the ram to begin with. Because he talks about how one horn goes higher in the air than the other one. But the one that goes higher comes up last. So if I take this right, it sounds like this ram... Uh, I don't know what it's doing. I guess it's standing there by the river and starts to grow these horns, one bigger than the other one. And feel free to jump in here if, if uh, anything is flo floating your boat here. But um, this ram starts pushing to the north and the south and the west. And it says no animal could stand against him. So I guess within this vision, he's not just seeing a ram, but maybe he's like in a in a group of different animals and he's like taken on all challengers type of thing here. Right. It's okay. like nothing so, can stand before I, Can I, can I just speak up here for a second? So yeah. because the first half of the, because the first part of the chapter just sort of says the dream and the second mm -hmm. part goes into the interpretation. Can mm -hmm. we just read the first part? Sure. And just like, instead, because it doesn't do a whole lot of good to discuss it in detail when the interpretation comes in the second part of the chapter. That's probably not a bad idea. We don't okay. usually just read it, but I guess it probably would be a better uh, a, a better description than me reading from my notes. So let me, yeah, let me just read it. Okay. I think um, we can, I think we get, uh, looking at the interpretation, I think we can probably read down to what, through verse 12 or 13? Uh yeah, or maybe 14. Maybe 14? Okay. Yeah, I think we can we can do that. So we'll read that. So I so yeah, I'll, I I will I will break from our tradition here and I'm going to actually read the text. I'm going to read the first 14 uh verses of the chapter. And because the second half as Karen said is is uh, is the interpretation of everything. So okay, here we go. Uh Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in a vision that I was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there, standing beside the river, was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, 
and in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Okay, so that is what Daniel is seeing. Some very, very strange stuff. So the things that stood out to me... There were the two horns that were uneven, right? Mm -hmm. There was the fact that the goat came across the earth without touching the ground. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I just, there were a couple things that kind of stood out to me that way. Mm -hmm. uh, the directions kind of came to me or stood out that he was, it seemed like he was specifically pushing in certain directions. The, the two horns and one one little one coming up. And you mean the, you're talking about the goat? Well, yes, the goat. I'm sorry. You were talking about the ram, and I'm getting ahead of myself. No, the goat. I was talking about the goat, too, because I thought it was okay. interesting that the goat came across the earth without touching the ground. Oh, correct. Right. Yeah. 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 So you got the little the, the goat. I think it's interesting that, again, we see this little horn character stand up yeah. uh, in verse 9. Then comes forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great in, in you know, three directions, to the south, yeah. to the east, and towards the glorious land. Yeah, this goat has got some complicated hornage. So he right? starts off with one goat. He needs and then, like, the, the main, or he starts off with one horn. The main horn breaks. It says, at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. In its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. And then out of one of those came another horn that started small and grew in power and then grew in all these directions. So it grew it grew in all the directions on earth and then it grew up to the heavens. Like this is, this is some interesting stuff here. Yeah, and so you can imagine how seeing this, you might be confused of what is going on. And it would seem that even, even uh, Daniel is not quite, he doesn't really know what's going on because as he sees these two talking to each other these two men i guess it said the holy ones where he says when i heard one mm -hmm. holy speaking and another one yeah. said to him yeah and i mean i mean daniel's clearly confused by what he's seeing but he hears these guys over over or talking to each other and one of them says to the other one gabriel make this man understand the vision to my knowledge, this is the first time we've heard about Gabriel in in our any of our readings. I don't remember Gabriel being mentioned before. Obviously, this is a fairly famous name from the Bible. And when we think of Gabriel, who uh, announced to Mary that Jesus would be born to her. Um, and I take it that this is the same Gabriel. Do you? 
Oh, it's got to be. Yeah. So it's an interesting introduction to this character that we haven't heard from before, but we will hear from again. And it seems obvious that these beings, and I guess at this point we can go ahead and call them angels, they understand that this is something that Daniel doesn't quite get because they're talking about how he needs to be made to understand it. But before we get into the, you know, the deep parts of the of the interpretation, I don't know, was there any were there any other things here that that stood out before we really get into what everything means? Well, one thing, I mean, we'll have to go into this in detail as we proceed through the actual interpretation, but um, there's a little bit of discussion on verse nine out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great towards the south and towards the east and towards the pleasant land. But you know how when you parse the sentence and you can look back and and in other languages, gender plays a greater role than what it plays in English typically. The word them is actually masculine, which means it's uh, referring back to the word winds um, because the horns are in the feminine. And so it's not referring back to, um, so, so it is referring back to the four winds, which is interesting. So that'll come into our interpretation a little bit in the future. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Greetings, Tracy. Hey. Oh, hey he made it, folks. I made it. <laughs> As we get into the interpretation, this is where I will be leaning heavily on the rest of you. Uh, some of it is very, very straightforward because they flat, it's flat out told to Daniel what's going on here. First of all, Gabriel tells him that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now, historically speaking, I don't see this as like return of Christ stuff. So time of the end, I'm, I'm a little curious why that phrase is is used in this in this particular instance but i guess it's stuff that leads up to and then will carry on through through history to towards the end so uh i don't know do any of you have any insight on that i have a thought about that and that's that okay. when i was a kid i used to worry about that a lot like i would say well you know, they've been saying that for about three generations now. It's the time of the end, etc. cetera. Uh, but from a biblical perspective, this actually is a really exciting idea because we have, you know, the time of the patriarchs and then we have the time of um, the Babylonian captivity and then we have the time of Christ coming. And from a biblical perspective, the time of the end is actually an extensive period of time. It's not just the last few days of Earth's history. It's actually from this vision that Daniel gets. Um, it's it has to do with these twenty three hundred days and you know some things that come up in the vision. So the idea is more of an an extended period of time, and so I think that's really interesting and it helps with your perspective quite a bit to realize mm -hmm. that the time of the end is is an era. Okay, so kind of things starting to roll here that all go together. Well, and the other thing that really I find super interesting about chapter eight is that we really honestly have an angel telling Daniel exactly what it means. Yeah. And so, right. And so it's not like we need to be super confused about these passages. Like Gabriel right. says, well, this is what's happening. This is what you're seeing. Right. Right. So we, we know we have accuracy. I think, 
you know, just listening to it, I think she hit on the exact word that I was looking for. It's all in perspective. And I think what sometimes we do is we want to say the time of the end is that's it. And, and Jesus is coming where if you really think about it in a broad term, like she was saying, era, like ERA is that ever since he left, that's counting down to when he's coming again. Yeah. yeah. And people don't quite fathom that they want to think it's just in time right before he comes, but it's not. It's all not a set time, but a countdown. And I think sometimes people just get so caught up in just, you know, the way it sounds so ominous at the time of the end. And this is what's going to happen. It's like, no, it's been that way since since Jesus left. Yeah, right. So I think this is a really important chapter in that it helps us have sort of a philosophy of prophecy and how to interpret prophecy. And the reason I say that is that Gabriel himself is giving you this big picture view. And he's saying, he's reiterating what Daniel saw in chapter two. So these are the great kingdoms that ruled the earth and the great empires, I should say. So these aren't just little local kings. These are empires that controlled politics in the massive regions of history, right? And so that's huge to our understanding because a lot of people want to jump into prophecy and and just look at like the last seven years of Earth's history, or they want to, you know, look at things uh, a little tiny bit of time in history, and so things happen where people get confused about how to interpret prophecy because they lose that perspective. But Gabriel's giving that perspective right now. One of my uh, <laughs> one of my favorite verses here because I kind of got a chuckle out of it was in. Um, 16, where he says, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli who called and said, and I'm going to read this how it sounds in my head. Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, wait, what? Who? A what now? How many horns? What did it do? (laughs) (laughs) It's like that meme. I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. (laughs) you I don't have the time nor the crayons to explain this to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's kind of funny. I don't know if that's the way it was, but it's kind of funny. That's the way I read it in my head. That's exactly how it sounded. Gabriel, explain (laughs) it to this poor thing. I imagine this is the way that the angels look at us all the time anyway. They're like, really? Really? (laughs) Speak slower. See if they get it. They're small. (laughs) (laughs) all right anything else on that (laughs) well you know what we do get a chuckle out of it but honestly i think there's some truth to there's some validity to it because if you look at it earlier on in the chapter he was already having he was struggling already you know what i mean he was perplexed to the point of fainting he didn't know if he was coming or going and i think that was the whole point is it's i think he needed that reassurance and support and that's what Gabriel was for. It was like, you know what? Let me just break it down for you. And exactly what Karen said. It's like, he needs help at this point. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is too much for him to comprehend. There's too many details that he needs to be to make sure that it's accurately notated and put down for, you know, eras to come. And he needs to get this right. So you, we need to break it down for him. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'm thankful that that Gabriel gives this this interpretation of it because honestly right. if I was seeing these things I <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have a clue what was going on. I mean, you know, I mean Daniel Daniel has has interpreted other dreams before 
that had to do with kingdoms and such. I mean, we know we knew that the we knew that the uh, that initial image with all of uh, made of the different metals and such was was kingdoms. And then we've talked about how the beast that he saw coming up out of the water, those were kingdoms. Now, I don't remember. Did he I don't remember if that's actually spelled out when we read that, though. We've kind of correlated from what we read in other parts of Daniel and, and of course, down in Revelation, that those were that those beasts were kingdoms, if, if I'm thinking correctly. No, it's it says it straight out. I mean, starting with the starting okay. with the the statue, and then well, going the, on through the four beasts, and then you know the interpretation is where the clarity comes. And then here mm-hmm. again in the second part of the chapter, it says like, "This is this, and that is that." Yeah, I'm and just I trying think, to remember if the beasts themselves were were specifically. No, the the beasts weren't identified in the statue. The the kingdoms were, and I think what it is is it's building upon itself. Is right. That, hey, they're still the kingdoms, but this is the specifics, and mm-hmm. he couldn't handle it when it was just the basics. But now we're getting more specific on what exactly all of them represent: horns, beasts, yeah. wings, ribs. We are getting super, super specified here, and that's what's needed. It's all building on itself. Yeah. So I guess where I was, I was getting myself lost because yes, it, I just had to scoot back there to chapter seven a bit and saw that yes the, those beasts were ca- called out as being kingdoms but we weren't told what kingdoms they were yet even though we have talked about which kingdoms they were well here is where we get a concept of how we know what those those kings those kingdoms yes. were yes yeah, because because now gabriel 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 hmm. now gabriel gives us reference he gives us sort of a starting point where he tells him flat out the ram represents media and persia and the goat he tells us is greece he specifically says that the large horn between his eyes yeah let me uh the ram with the horns is medium persia the male goat is the kingdom of greece the large horn that's between its eyes is the first king. And so here's we're starting to get these ideas that the beasts represent kingdoms. Flat out, we're told that this ram represents media and Persia. Uh, horns are representing kings. The broken horns. Well, it says in verse 22. Um, okay, so in, in 21 and 22, it, it, it spells out what the goat's horns mean. Like Gabriel just says it. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king, which was Alexander the Great. Mm -hmm. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. And we talked about that last time, is when when Alexander the Great died, his four generals took over. They kind of divided up the territory and took over. Yeah. So that being said, too... And I guess maybe just for some clarification, these weren't already powers. You know, I don't even know if Rome existed at the time of, like, Daniel. Was it just a little providence at this point? Same with Grisha. Was it just an island out there somewhere that they really didn't, you know, pay much attention to? So I think this is where the concept gets hard because 
I don't think he could put the pieces together. It's like, okay, this is too much in the future to see that these are superpowers. It's like, oh, the king of Grisha. Well, I don't even know what Grisha is. You know what right. I mean? Or this is going to be the the I is going to be the first king. It's like, okay, but I can't see it because they don't exist right now. No, or they're not. Yeah, I mean, they might be out there, but they're not. They're not on the map. Yeah, they're not really. They're not on the map of like super kingdoms that people are like in Egypt or something. They're not at that level right now. Right. Didn't we? I mean, I'm thinking of earlier prophecies. Wasn't there? There were prophecies even back before of kings. Who was it? There was a specific king who got named like seemed like maybe generations before he was born. Who am I thinking of there? Um, Cyrus. Cyrus. Cyrus was named. Exactly. 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 It was Cyrus. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Can you imagine being Cyrus? No, I can't imagine being Cyrus. <laughs> you know, um, the thing is, did he have access to the, you know, to the scriptures or, you know, what was being studied in Israel, you know, on his area? Right. Probably right. Not. I always wondered if he was so aware. So he probably of didn't that. even know that he was in prophecy for some other nation. So, um, there's some interesting things going on here. First of all, Daniel has a pretty good idea what's going on because he was around back in Daniel 2 with the dream of the statue. Yes. He spells all that out for the Babylonian king. You, O king, are the head of gold. After you will come another nation, right? And then another, and then another, and then the feet of iron and clay, right? So he's got an idea that over the course of the rest of the world is going to be these four superpowers and then a period of time where there is no superpower, and then the kingdom of God. All right. So one of the things that jumped out at me when I was reading through this is when it's talking about the goat, in verse 8, it says, the goat became very great. So this is Greece, right? The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn, which later on we just said, it just said is the first king. Later on, or it says, um, at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. Well, I was curious about that. So I knew that Alexander the Great died young, but I so I looked up a little bit about how he died. So he was only 32. He was really at the height of his power. And so they're like that's exactly what happened here. And his death is a mystery for a couple of reasons. He was approaching a city. He was going to come into the city. Which city was that? Hang on a second. The wise men of the city warned him not to come in because their god, Bell, had had warned them that he would not die or that he would not live. That if he came into the city, he would die. So in February of 323 BC, Alexander got ready to march to Babylon. He started off on the trip. He crossed the Tigris River and he was met by the Chaldeans who advised him not to enter the city because their deity Bel had warned them that to do so would be fatal for Alexander. So they he came into the city by a different route than what he had planned. It was an unfavorable route because it was swampy and gross, but he went ahead and took his men through it. And that was in May of 323. 
and he then he got mysteriously ill and he spent 12 days in great pain and he died on June 13th or did he there was something weird about his death because they called in a bunch of their local physicians to examine the body and uh, to view the body, you know, to to verify that he had died. And they came in and viewed the body three days after he had died, and he still looked alive. He looked like he was just sleeping. Well, that's unusual. You know, a breakdown should happen. So, you know, cellular decay starts immediately, and and then, like, it kind of moves to the outside of the body. And by day three, he should have been showing something. Well, people are saying, well, he drank a lot. Maybe he was sort of pickled. You know, there's all these theories floating around. Maybe he had this disease. Maybe he had that disease. Nobody really knows. It's a big mystery. But for whatever reason, he did not show signs of looking dead for six full days after he died. So everything about his death was a mystery. And... I know that like conquering heroes and whatever they they sometimes get a you know a, a a bad name. This guy was loved, like the the Chaldean queen. He referred to her as his mother, even after taking over the country. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and they she grieved his death, and like the whole nation grieved his death. But it was a very extraordinary thing. So that's what I found when I went and looked up, because I wanted to know what it meant. At the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It's, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, some interesting history there. I don't know it very well. Like I said, I'm a public school kid. But, so, yeah, but, so we're, we're, we're given... Very specific. We know that we're talking about the ram, which is Median Persia, and a goat, which is Greece. And we know that the, now that the goat follows the ram, Daniel would have already had had at this point, if he was remembering, he would know that, of course, we had a starting point with Babylon, uh, with that head of gold. And then now he, we know that as we're getting into that the Medes and Persians are going to come up and Greece is going to follow, he's getting an idea of how things will progress. And so as we back up and we look at at, at that initial uh, statue, we can see the head of gold being followed by Medium Persia, which interestingly has two arms. And then we saw in the vision of the beast, we had the bear, which was raised up on one side, if you remember, one side higher than the other. Just much like uh, we see the ram now with one horn higher than the other. And so we're getting a concept here of where we can apply our thoughts throughout these visions and see this progression. Yeah, just real quick. I think that it's interesting that in chapter two, we had the head of gold, which represented Babylon. And in chapter seven, we had the, the lion, which represented Babylon. And in chapter eight, we just it's already gone. Mm-hmm. That entire kingdom is already gone. Yeah, not even mentioned at this point. And I don't remember, I got to think back, what year of Belshazzar's reign did he get, let's see, that was chapter five. You know, we have to remember, too, that when um, when they were talking about it, when Nebuchadnezzar basically was given his, you know, warning, you know, watch, you know, how you take the credit for everything that God has basically blessed you with, because... In essence, I will basically wipe Babylon off the map. And if you look nowadays, it's not 
it's not readily brought up very often. You know, mm-hmm. you'll have the archaeology, you know, digs and stuff that find stuff, but you know, they're quick to be like Medes and this was part of the Persians and it's very not very often you hear Babylonian like architecture and that kind of thing. They're mm-hmm. pretty much gone. Never yeah, to well, be really thought of again. When they took it out, yeah, it just kind of went yeah, the one took over and and the other one uh, just kind of disappeared, yeah. Well, to what Tracy was saying, I think it's interesting how the language reads throughout Daniel, because Daniel 7, 6 says that um, God gave dominion to the Greeks, like, and the ne- or to the next kingdom, which turns out to be the Greeks. Um, and then God gives, uh, of course, Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 1, 2. And he gives the Babylonians over, he gives them to Cyrus. Yeah. Like when they, and so we have this this idea of God is completely in control. He is of who the is man. ruling the word, world. It all. Yep, I totally agree with Amy. He's he's letting you know that I am the one wielding this. I am the one that's moving this forward. I'm giving you these dreams because I'm laying it out for you what I'm going to do. But it is I'm doing it. I'm giving it to all these other kingdoms. Don't get it twisted and and let you and think it's theirs by their doing. I'm doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as we get into these different horns, then I'll let the I'll let our historic history scholars here kind of talk tell us who we're talking about here. So we, we know we had Alexander the Great, who is the horn on the goat, and then there's four other horns who come after that. Who are we talking about there? So we had talked previously about it being. Um, the Seleucids and the, let's see, the uh, Ptolemies. So they become really prominent. Like they're going to play heavily into what we talk about in Daniel chapter 11. And let's see, does someone else have notes on that? Because I'm not remembering who these other two are. Oh, let's see. Let me look here. Let's I think see. the oh, four notes, well, let's see, these were Cassander, who had Greece and the neighboring countries, Lysimachus, who had Asia Minor, Seleucus, am I saying that right? Yes, yeah, sure. Who took over Syria yeah. and Babylon, and Ptolemy, who took Egypt. Yep, the Ptolemies. Yeah. And yeah. so these so, are... I, I think they kind of had it broken down, and I don't quite understand how they, they did this, but it was... I have the same ones that that um, Karen was just saying, and then there's Antagonist One and Lysimachus. I think you said that one, but I think they were doing it jointly. And the Ptolemies, Arcadius, and Antipater. I have no idea, but those were the generals that rose up and split the kingdom. Right. So Alexander doesn't have. Well, he has one offspring, but the kid is like some slave woman's daughter, and there's no strength. Like, he yeah. doesn't leave an heir, and so these generals seize power. Yeah, and there's four of them. And I think that's interesting because the way the, the scripture words it, four kingdoms shall stand up, but not out of his power. So not out of him, out of Alexander. Also, the way the way that I, let's see. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off, this is verse 22, 
represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. Oh, here, I, I finally found it. Yeah, um, and they were basic, basically saying, too, it says four. There were, they, they kind of broke it down into five, but one was murdered, and the others tried to regain the, the glory of the empire but were never able to do it. Yeah, I finally found the reference. Okay, so the Hellenistic kingdom, which means the Greek kingdoms, uh, refers to Macedonia, Pergamum, Syria, and Egypt. So at, at the time that the Greeks ruled the world after Alexander, were divided into these four regions. And then uh, throughout time, Egypt and Syria become the more prominent ones. So we're talking about the same region. We're just talking about different people in charge of different parts of that region right the the greek greek empire i guess is that the right word to use there yeah yeah i would say yeah so then out of one of these check me on this out of one of the four horns then a smaller horn comes up right if i'm reading this right that's what i was kind of talking about earlier so there there is something here in the language that makes it super interesting because the antecedent of one of them like is it referring back is the word them referring back to the four horns or it seems like it's more correct to say that it's referring back to one of them one of the four winds because the word them occurs in the masculine and so does winds so if we knew our languages well enough, we would say, oh, well, clearly it couldn't be referring back to a word that is uh, feminine. You see what I mean? Mm. So it so, would be referring to in verse eight, where it says in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. That's what it's referring to then? Yes, referring back to that. And then verse nine, out of one of them, one of the mm -hmm. four winds. So I had in my little horn. I went back and I looked and I couldn't really find it, but that only because I like history. So, you know, where I'm stuck, guys. But um, mm -hmm. Licinius took the north. Ptolemy took the south. Silasius took the east. Cassander took the west. Okay. And when they're talking about the little horn, in if we go back to Daniel 9, it's basically based on Rome's origin, like we had talked about before. They just weren't there. And everything you see, he kind of breaks down like um, – the little horn which waxed exceedingly great towards the south. Well, they're saying since Rome had a very small beginning, it couldn't be – that's how they were breaking it down and being so specific is that it couldn't be called exceedingly great because it really wasn't. They kind of came out of nowhere. And so that's how we're starting to see these little, like, intricate details of – where where the origins of these kingdoms were and basically how God said, you know what, come on up because this is my plan. I'm going to give the give this the kingdom or the world to you, basically. So I, my impression of the um, the reason that it was a, a small horn is that of the of the areas that the kingdom of Greece split into. Rome came along a little late, <clears throat> a little later, like a hundred and some odd years later, Rome comes along and conquers Macedonia. Right. Like they didn't come over and like, they didn't, they didn't like swoop in and take over all the big regions where they were spreading out at that time. 
it only reached into the, the then known Greek empire a little bit. It just came in in Macedonia. So that was kind of my impression of why it came in small like that. So it sort of makes sense in both ways then. If it's coming in from the West, coming in and invading and starting to grow up, whether it's coming from the direction, the wind, and coming in and then and, and growing on a, the West horn and kind of just poking its head up there. I, th- I could see how both ways it kind of works where where Rome starts to grow up out of that little piece of of um, of the Greek Empire, if I'm reading you right. You know, and I, I kind of look too back at Roman history and you look at it and like we said, it wasn't it didn't start off large. It was not a large place. And, you know, I think I'm going to give us a little bit of a I hate to do this, but thank you, Hollywood. Um, and us us uh, um, public school kids will definitely know this. But if you look at Gladiator, mm. that's kind of what Rome was built on when he says, you know, it was built on a whisper and a dream because nobody else had these kind of like senates and people making decisions. And they were able to take over the world because people bought into this concept and got on board after they were defeated. And that's what made Rome so big because it wasn't just one area that took over everything. They incorporated all these different places, making them their own. And then they were able to leave legions behind because those were legions based on the people that actually lived there. So it's like this wasn't like just one big country that took over the world. It was like they incorporated everything that they came into contact with. Well, and wasn't it also like this great system of law, like they talk about yes. the Pax Romana and how yes. people who got in, cultures that got incorporated into it were eventually glad about that because they liked Roman law. Like Roman yes. law was equitable. It went to law, to to medicine, and they, they were, they were equipped to incorporate everything. If you look, if you think back at um, the uh, library at Alexandria for the Egyptians, it was it was taken over. Those people went there for that, to incorporate that. That's why you have the dynasties of the Ptolemies that were there for Greece in Egypt. They became pharaohs themselves. And if you look towards the end of the dynasties in Egypt, the Romans did the same thing. They went there and tried to incorporate themselves into the culture. Right, mm. right. So, Matt, mm-hmm. it might be a good time to talk about Antiochus Epiphanes. You know, like this is going to keep coming up throughout mm-hmm. our study. And I don't know, maybe you guys don't want to talk about it, but there's a school of thought um, that that thinks that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was one of the Seleucid kings, was this little horn power. Um, and it's just really interesting to me that he, I mean, he was a jerk, right? Like he slaughtered a pig on the altar in the Jewish temple and he did persecute the Jews. Um, and so he did persecute God's people at that time. But if you look back at history and really study into his life and also his character, he's he's a bit of a nothing. You know, like he's a, a local king who is not super powerful. And I just think it's important to bring that up because there's an entire school of thought that ends almost all the prophecies with Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes is dead by like uh, AD or excuse me, 187 B.C., so mm. before Christ even comes. And and so we have 
this person that a lot of people who interpret prophecy want to look at and make into this fantastic character who is the little horn power of Daniel's prophecies. Um, but in reality, he's, he's fairly minor. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. I don't know if anybody knows about him, but I just thought I should bring that up. No, that's, that's good. Cause actually I was, I was looking in my, in uh, my NIV study Bible and, in the notes and that that's who they point out as being that little horn but i kind of agree with you he he's not prominent enough to be the next big kingdom yeah he doesn't on. turn into he doesn't turn into a great power that yeah. that takes over the earth much less reaches up to heaven yeah right I'm, you can kind of take some of those little pieces and 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 see why people might go that direction but it just doesn't fit being no. the next great power well, nice. and in verse 25 it says and through his policy he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace he shall destroy many he shall also stand up against the prince of princes but he shall be broken nope. without hands mm. so i just think that's interesting because that seems like a reference to christ right so antiochus epiphanes is is already dead 187 years before Jesus is even born. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that just doesn't, it just doesn't quite fit. We're able, but we're Rome, able. To, Rome was in power when Jesus was crucified. So it makes sense for Rome. It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. So as I was, was, was going to say, we're able to extrapolate through history, through the visions that we've seen that it makes sense for Rome to be the next great power on the, on the board and not just some little, some minor guy who commits a few offenses. Well, okay. So through history, yes. And then also digging back earlier in the book of Daniel, there's the prophecies of Daniel two that lay out mm -hmm. the nations mm -hmm. and there's the prophecies of Daniel seven, which lay out the nations and specifically yes. spend a bunch of time talking about the fourth beast. So yeah. I don't think it's a huge mystery well, you wouldn't think so, but you know, like I said, my uh, my NIV study Bible—that's who it points out—is Antic and and how do you how do you say it? Antiochus, uh, <laughs> right? Antiochus Epiphanes. That guy, but, yeah. That but guy. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Uh, well, so, you said yeah. it better than me, so I'm going to give yeah. you all the credit for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so so it's really interesting because I had um, downloaded a couple of charts of prophecy that just kind of line up, you know. What do they mean in Daniel 2? What's he talking about in, in 7 and 8? And and then how, you know, because you've got Babylon and then Medo-Persia and then Greece, etc. Well, the one that takes the position that Antiochus Epiphanes is this little horn power, every single time uh, at the end of each of the different chapters, it puts him as the, the last thing before the time of the end. So we have... Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy about these great empires, Antiochus Epiphanes, and then a giant gap in history until Jesus comes back. Mm. So it it is what a lot of people think is true, but unfortunately, they're not looking at, I mean, Gabriel's, you know, giving this interpretation. And we have the other chapters that we look at. And in those chapters, it looks like maybe there's something really big coming, bigger mm -hmm. than that guy. Mm hmm. Yeah, and there's really no reason to create that gap unless you're just really trying to press that uh, that everything ends with Antiochus Epiphanes. Right. So, yeah, I mean, but if you just let it, if you let it play itself through, mm -hmm. and as we see other 
uh, prophecies, as we will see continuing, leading right up to Jesus. And it's when we get into that, we'll see how clear that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just doesn't make sense for that to end there and for it to not include the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. which is uh, fits these other these other uh, beasts and such so clearly. So I always I always the Bible so seldom mentions people's looks that when it does mention what somebody looks like, I always think mm-hmm. to myself. I want to see that person. Like, what does that mean? What do you have to look like in order for your looks to get written down in the book of God? (laughs) And when it's talking about this, um, you know, in verse uh, 22, it says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understand sinister schemes. And I'm just like, what does that mean? Well, in chapter... And in chapter seven, doesn't it say his look was more stout than his fellows? Does it? I don't remember. Yeah, that. there's something where it says that he's like tougher looking. Mm. So. Mm. I'm looking. I'm looking. Yeah, you got me curious. I'm looking too. Um. Yeah. Oh yeah, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Okay, so this is verse. Uh, 20. The ten horns were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Yeah, yeah and that's what I thought. NIV, let's see, NIV says the horn that looked more imposing than the others. Right, so I just can't see Antiochus Epiphanes being this stout tough looking guy when you have comparisons to you know alexander the great right <laughs> like most people yeah. haven't even heard of antiochus unless they're studying the bible yeah and you know the description you were given of him and the things i was reading about here about him he doesn't sound a whole lot worse or more powerful than a lot of the kings of israel and judah we were reading about and i mean yes they were i mean those kingdoms were you know they had a relative power to them but they weren't like huge superpowers that were taking over everything they they were just kind of their local leadership you know and they did some they did some dumb stuff and that to me is kind of the way <laughs> i've taken i and take as epiphanies is he's he's a guy in a smaller region who uh rears his head up and tries to get some attention but just doesn't amount to much I read one time about an interaction he had had with an ambassador from Rome, and I wish I had the reference in front of me, but this ambassador comes to Antiochus Epiphanes, who is then king of the Seleucids, and says, I'm going to draw a line around you with my stick, and by the time I'm finished drawing this line, you better be headed home. And and he obeyed, which mm. if he was this stout horn, you know, this, this little <laughs> horn that's so tough, why is some ambassador from Rome able to tell him you go home now? Mm-hmm. You know? I draw a line around him with a stick. Okay, I'll take my toys and go home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your stick. Yeah, like that really happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, Rome just fits way better. And Rome is just barely starting to poke its its head up i guess it, you know that little horn is kind of starting to poke out there it's making me think man it's not the same thing but it's sort of like if you you know when a tooth is coming in you know it's <laughs> kind of starting to show 
you know it doesn't amount to much yet but uh, you know it's uh it's 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 just starting you know and that's what we're we're seeing here in in this vision that that gabriel has spelled out for daniel and so we have this now we have some real reference points to be able to know what all these beasts and uh parts of of the uh of the 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 image the statue were and uh it's going to give us some areas that we're going to be able to move forward with down the future so then the only other part of the vision then that really doesn't get described here but it just gets touched on was where he said he gives a he gives a number says there are 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Well, Gabriel doesn't really say much about this. But he does say, and the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told, is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. So Daniel's not really given a good, clear idea of what that means yet, but it's on his radar. And now it's on our radar to be wondering, what does this mean? What is what what's 2,300 days in a vision going to be all about? And so that's for us to ponder and wonder over, just like Daniel. And um, we will actually get some insight into that in our next episode. And Uh, for Daniel, like the last verse of this is... uh, says, and I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. And this is like the guy who's interpreted visions and dreams since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And here he is just like flat on his back because of this thing. Yeah. What in the world was he, you know, I mean, what what kind of experience is that to, to put him put him down like that? I think that's kind of how we started. It's like, you know, I would say that God always sees the big picture. And, you know, from the very beginning, I think these dreams just became more complex to get him ready for this point in time. And he still, it was just too much to fathom. You know, because if you look at the simplicity of the first dreams, you know, and then Nebuchadnezzar's dream, they all get more involved and to build to this point where it's just a lot. It's too much for the a regular person. Plus, we have to remember, he's an old guy now. What do we say, 85? Yeah. yeah 87, something like that. He's not a spring chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. So I guess I was just thinking also, you know, Daniel's. This is a great expanse of time. And he's been kind of thinking about, okay, when do my people get to go home? And then he gets this vision of this massive amount of time. And I think that must have been part of what startled him. And maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I I could be way out in left field, but I feel like he's thinking on one level and, and God's giving him this massive vision of all of Earth's history. And so he's suddenly like, oh, you know, that's a really good point, because I've always wondered when these guys have these visions of days, I mean, how how are they how are they experiencing that? How do they see that a day is passing? Right. You know, are they somehow in the vision experiencing a 24 hour period? And because you know how when we dream, we can mm-hmm. feel like we're in a dream for hours but they'll tell us that 
you know, those dreams actually are very quick. They're very, they're very brief in real time. And so it just makes me wonder, is he having a vision that is making him experience 2,300 days? And he's thinking that he's seeing this. And is that just like overwhelming? Well, it's interesting too, just from what you were saying, you know, here is this dream mode that he's in. So he's, you know, he's hearing a conversation and how many of us have experienced that? Like I've never had a vision of course, Mm -hmm. but, but he's, but I have heard voices in my sleep and there have been times when in my sleep, I have understood a conversation and that's what Daniel's experiencing right here. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting just on a human level that we've all kind of had those moments too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many things, so many things that are just, they're interesting and you just wonder what's the experience like Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, cause you know, when you're just reading the story, you're like, well, that sounds weird, but I don't know that it would wipe me out, but somehow this experience is just overwhelming. It's just, it's so much for him to grasp. And maybe somehow he is grasping that these are major things happening. He knows that these are things that are going to happen that haven't happened. Um, he's having angels talking to him just so much, so many, so much happening all at once. So it really is a, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting chapter. It's an interesting situation and it's given us a springboard for understanding a lot of things that are going on uh, in the narrative of this book that we're reading. Any other thoughts on Daniel 9? No, I think that's a good stopping point. I think we kind of got it. So uh, for our next episode, we will start with Daniel chapter 9. Um, and we will get into some of these these further discussions of what all these things mean and uh, more of the insights that come toward Daniel. So start with uh, Daniel chapter 9. And while you are reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at ATTB Podcast with any questions or concerns or comments. If you have thoughts on Antiochus Epiphanes, which I'm <laughs> butchering that name, I know. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. We'll get there. (laughs) Um, It'll be interesting to have some interaction on those thoughts. So remember, you can reach out to us there at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Look us up on Facebook. Uh, Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.